This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a late Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. Is it aforementioned or aforementioned, John Taylor? Um, you know, I don't. I think it's. I've always heard aforementioned. That's what I thought. Um, I, I, but I don't know if aforementioned is considered to be incorrect pronunciation or if it just happens to be like a tolerated alternate pronunciation. Well, the reason I just doubted myself as I was doing this intro for tonight's episode is I was listening to another podcast today, actually, on my walk, and I heard them pronounce it aforementioned, and I was like, hmm, this person, I would say, is smarter than myself, and they are pronouncing it aforementioned. Have I been pronouncing it wrong all this time and felt very mortified, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, well, you've come to the wrong source on this because <laughs> who would ever? I mean, the other thing, to come is, to an the other thing is pronunciation is such a variable thing. In so far as yeah. you're where you're from, like what language you speak, like what, like just because it was said one way once upon a time doesn't mean we say it forever. You know, just because it doesn't really make sense. Like language, language has to adapt with culture. Is there one word that you always mispronounce and someone gets on to you about it? Um. No, no one ever gets on me about. It. I, I'm trying to think. I know there there are definitely words where it's like I ever I have to like remind myself when I'm gonna say them to like pronounce them properly. Like mm-hmm. um, uh, like not, not. I was gonna say scimitar, but no, I, I remember how to say scimitar. That's just a word that looks like it would be pronounced differently, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I can't say conscientious fast. I always have to. Uh, conscientious so, yeah that's one you cannot i'm a i'm a fast talker by nature and that's one that i will stumble through every time if i'm talking fast. i i always i always blur conscience and conscious mm. that which is well i guess how often does that really come up <laughs> um but yeah it's I, I it's, it's a catch-22 this is like why john you and i we're so anti-books we're so anti-education on this podcast is that when you read books and you read articles mm-hmm. and you stay informed and you, you like to learn, um, you don't hear words out loud because you're not listening to auditory stuff. So you're not hearing how yeah. things are pronounced. So Damn nerds aren't understanding like <laughs> you know the real world around them. It's not all 18-syllable words, you, you dweebs. I, get, out of your, get out of your books. You're I big. can't even begin to tell you how many words that I just i shouldn't say guesstimated but like that i pronounced in my head growing up reading just different books and just always assumed that's how you pronounced it like i never was called on it because it's it's not in my normal vernacular but it's just it would come out every now and then they're like what did you just say <laughs> i'm like uh, well it uh was a it, it came up in a book i read 12 years ago um but yeah uh 
Speaking of books, John. Yes. I'm reading Origins by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Have you read that? No, I have not. Okay. Um, I feel dumb every page. Okay. What's, it's going to be about? a long read for me because I am literally pausing every page to Google what he's talking about with certain things where I'm like, mm, don't know what that is. Let me go search that. All right. Back to my paragraph. Okay. Back to the it, Google search. Is it one of his, is it one of his books about physics and space time and whatnot? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that stuff is very hard to understand for, for pretty much anyone. I mean, there are only like so many people who have like PhDs in that stuff. What does it mean that like Bill Nye's was a breeze, but Neil deGrasse Tyson's is a lot more uh, of a slow read? Mm, the Bill Nye's used to writing for one audience, and Tyson and Neil Tyson deGrasse is honestly kind of boring. I, I I don't really dig his whole thing. It's it's very much a lot. Yeah. It's like a nerd heard happily, <laughs> nerd happily nailed it. <laughs> um, are you reading anything right now outside of your New Yorker backlog? No, my New Yorker stack continues to stare <laughs> me in the face, and it keeps growing. It's great. That's Other than awesome. that, no, I I really should find some some interesting reading to do, though beyond the New Yorker, because they're only especially because now I've hit like May. I I just got through March and April of of twenty twenty, and I got through it in about two days. And I did that because I mostly skipped like four or five entire issues because it was pretty much nonstop coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know what I don't need to do is reread about all the worst parts of the last 18 months yeah. or the last 12 months, rather. I can't believe it's only been 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that was I, I definitely need some cheerier reading, I think, than the rest of 2020 in New Yorker issues. Interesting. See, mine's not really a cheery thing for me. It's more. I don't know. I, don't well, know I mean, I mean, not, but at least not like this dirge of like bad news, bad news, bad news, yeah. bad news. Like I, I just because there was a lot of bad news last year. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I think there's a lot of bad news every day, John. Well, that's also true, but that has nothing to do with with last year. No, I guess last year was certainly certainly worse. Um, but you know, summer's here. I'm also just anti-bug. A lot of bugs popping up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, John. You you only have the rats to deal with in New York City. No, we get, get mosquitoes. We, Do you? Yeah, we, we get skeeters. Is that what yeah. you call them? Not that many. Not certainly not as many as like, like I mean, when I go to, it's funny actually. The my sister has a place upstate in in the Hudson Valley, and when I went up there last summer at one point just to get out of the city for for a weekend, um. What was I going to say? I, I got so many goddamn mosquito bites up there. I have no idea why they were just all up there. Like, never never in the, in the rest of my time living in, in New York if I had that happen. They were just, like, bit to death. But, like, you know, I, I, like, I'm sure down, like, down where you are, like, that, that shit must be endless. It's weird. I've never really been bitten by mosquitoes. They're all around, but uh, they've never really posed a lot of problems for me. Well, that's good. That's that's good for you. Is it good? What does it say about me that they're not interested? What, what nothing. Would I it not just to... it just says it just says that you don't that you don't have to deal with mosquitoes. That's a good thing. You are you're blessed. <laughs> you are blessed. It truly is the little thing. This brings it full circle. No more bad news in this podcast. We're gonna spin everything exactly. positive. The uh, the lack of attention that I draw from uh, mosquitoes is actually good. Um, it's great. It is great. Congrats. I'm proud Thanks, of you. Man. 
that's hey, good job. I, I, yeah. I'm proud of myself. I, I did absolutely nothing, right. and sometimes that's all you can do. Um, that sometimes that is all you can do. <laughs> In happier news, no, I'm just kidding, John. Yes. This is a Major League Baseball podcast. We can't start off with the happy. We can't. We can't go happy with Major League Baseball. No, we have to. We have to start off with the Oakland A's or Oakland question mark A's, as I now refer to them as. Um, we've seen this play out before, right, John? Uh, City says, we've done all we can. And then puts pressure, like, I guess we're going to explore because uh, City, we've done all we can, wink, wink, uh, to keep the team here. And then they want to see if the City bites and uh, acquiesces to their their threats. And uh, if they don't, they're like, well... I guess we'll go, but we did everything we could. We wanted to stay there. We really did. We really wanted to stay in this city, but it was just, uh, it was not meant to be. It was not meant to be. Um, I will say, I'm surprised it's taken this long, but I don't know if I had A's moving before Rays in my, in my Rolodex, John. Yeah, I mean... It's obvious. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? We're we're both in agreement with and this that it's not going to happen. Uh, I, I <laughs> it's not going to happen. Okay, it's, it's not going to happen. Well, I also don't think so. Here's I, I go back and forth on this because I don't think expansions happening. So I think because expansions not happening and we're sticking with thirty, that it, one of Rays or A's are moving in the not too distant future. I don't know which one, but one of the two are moving. Maybe, but like what, what city, especially now post COVID when we just had a year that destroyed most municipal budgets at every level, what city right now is going to turn around and say, yes, what I would like to do is spend 500 million taxpayer dollars to build a stadium for a baseball team. Well, I think it would be a private type thing, like Mark Davis just. No, there's the, no. That's I, not gonna. It's we already we like. When is that's the other thing though. When when is the last stadium that got built in the United States on majority private money? I don't know the answer to this off the top of my head, but I would I will guarantee. I'm just gonna look it up now because I will guarantee you it is probably a small number. Because because that's the other part of this. Like they're not gonna be able to put enough. How much how much money does a stadium cost? Eight hundred I mean, million dollars. Depends a, on a how billion much dollars? you want to go. How, how what kind of yeah? Well, it's like the, the new one in Texas just cost a, a billion dollars, right? Mm. Basically, the the giant barn that we all that we everyone watched <laughs> in the World Series mm-hmm. that costs like a billion dollars. Where are you? Who is ponying up a billion dollars or even a chunk of a billion dollars more than like a hundred million to build a ballpark? Yeah. Who even has that kind of money that wants to do that? But. On the flip side, especially when what you does just Oakland get the city do? to pay for a portion of it and then give you tax breaks on the rest. That's why this is not going to happen, because no one is what, like when is the last team? When is the last time a, a major uh, North American professional sports team relocated? Actually, that's a dumb question because I there, there are many many leagues. So when's the last time a a major league team relocated? Technically speaking, the Expo was the DC, right? Mm-hmm. That was going on. That's going on twenty years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that M- MLB, like, engineered that to happen, and it only worked because, well, like I said, they engineered it to happen because they had an owner in charge in Montreal who could make it happen. 
Like because they basically own chart, they they own they own the expos. They could just do that if they wanted to. Like I, I it's it's the the man who owns the expos, um, Lewis Wolf. He's worth a billion. He's worth over a billion dollars. Why does it like I I know I just said like building a stadium is not something some one man can do alone. But certainly he has enough rich friends, or certainly he can raise enough private financing on his own to build the A's a stadium. If he if he wants to own the Oakland A's, why doesn't he want them to stay in Oakland? Why leak it? I think it's just a leverage thing where they're like, yeah, it's a leverage thing, but it's like that does that's not really a sign that you care about the Oakland A's here, right? It's a sign you just want the the city to build you your stadium already. Well, in an area, by the way. An area, by the way, that people, if I've, you know, I've seen people from the from the Bay Area on Twitter take note, is not accessible by public transit, hmm. or at least not easily accessible by public transit, which is also something that just should not happen at this point in time. Like, not even just even speaking purely even on an environmental level, but just from a pure baseball fan level, you want to build a stadium where you can't take a uh, take a train to, or you can't walk to, or put it in an area where you just can't get to except if you drive. What's, what message is that sending to to fans too? I mean, not, none of this sends any good message to fans, but just in well, I, I, I don't say, know. But... I think Oakland just is used to this now, right? Like this is just par for the course. Like they've yes, been going... this is what this is just what has happened. Yeah, excuse me. This is just what has happened with this franchise for the last forever. No, nothing is ever done in good faith when it comes to the Oakland Athletics. And their ballpark situation, their money situation. I'm not saying that the team necessarily acts in bad faith. I'm saying that everyone involved in the operation negotiates and acts in bad faith. Like, everyone involved. Like, no one is honest about this. No one is straight about it. It's all just, you know, it's all just using the team just as a piece of leverage. Almost like a weapon pointed at the at the city of Oakland and the fan base itself. Just to be like, if you don't do what we want, they like they get it. You know, they basically are using the A's as hostages. And so it's like I just I. But this has become this just goes on forever. With sport owners in the United States, right? This is just What's part up? for the course. Like this is what they're. Well, going yeah, to no, do. this is this is just how it works. But it's just it's just frustrating that the person in charge of the A's does not care about them enough to spend more money on a on a roster that is already very good and with just a little more money just any amount more money would be one of the best would be guaranteed one of the best teams in baseball or at least in constant contention as opposed to this weird like painful fluctuation the A's do every year for a period of time and then and then never get past the division series anyway like do that or at least, this man doesn't want to spend to do to do that. Nor does he want to spend to help replace the decrepit, hideous, awful stadium they play in that is unsuitable for a professional sports team. So what? Why is he? Why is he own the A's? Shouldn't the, shouldn't the person who owns the A's actually care about the Oakland A's and actually like be invested in them being good beyond giving them crumbs from his personal fortune? In a perfect world, yes, John. In a perfect world, so that's the thing. It's like that's why it's that's why none of this is happening though, because like it's just, just no one is no one is going to fall for this at this point. Because I do think people have realized or started to see through this at this point that hey, no, this is this is how the scam works. Don't give into it. And if if expansion doesn't happen, well, honestly, that's 
that's Major League Baseball cutting off the nose and despite the face. You know, that's that's something where it's like expansion probably should happen at this point. There's so much talent in baseball, and there are only 30 teams for it. And especially if you're going to contract the minor leagues, like let's let's get get more baseball in for all the talent that currently exists. And uh, yeah, a couple of those obviously the early years would be lean, but still, like I, I, I do think expansion would be a good idea for baseball. But no, so we're going to talk about moving the A's. It's like that's not going to happen. It's just they're not going to get moved. No team is getting moved at this point unless it's maybe the Rays if they tr- if they change ownership and ownership is like no, this is happening. But that's a story for the future. I'm not as nervous about like the the expansion talks of like what it, if it dilutes the league and shit like that because I also don't think expand like the major league baseball is unique in this way where Braves fans I think you and I have talked about this a lot where like Braves fans only watch by and large the Braves they only see the White Sox when the Braves are playing the White Sox um no one's tuning into Sunday Night Baseball outside of a select few um who are not fans of those teams on Sunday Night Baseball um it's a very local sport it's very regional heavy sport and it's just the way baseball works now so it's like if you dilute the league more it's not like any of the fan bases are going to care like they're not going to notice that uh it their players are more scattered all over no they're just keeping up their team anyway like they'll just be happy they have a team because it's just kind of the way it works it's going to go more college football-y i think in that way where it's like yeah oregon state fans are watching all the oregon state games but they're not like dying over uh bama versus clemson like that's that it doesn't matter that they're not a factor or that the talent pool is in one part of the country but not the other and the talent pool is not evenly spread it doesn't affect their viewing or their game day habits or anything like that um i don't know that's just my perspective on expanding no, and, and i understand baseball. it i think that i think there's some truth in that that you know mlb regional audiences do seem to be stronger than at least and I, I think part of that too is the NFL. One, like I mean, you took up. You think about the other leagues. The NFL is a in-your-face, once-a-week event type thing with you know, glo- with at least national superstars. I guess they can't really be global because you know football doesn't really exist anywhere else. Um, and then you have the NBA where they have actual global superstars, and that's you know the league is honestly sometimes more about the players and the and the teams that they form in their wake. Uh, I, I'm sorry. That makes me sound like a very like boomer sports columnist. Like I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a problem with super teams, but it just it does like the NBA John does have Bob that feel. Ryan of, like Taylor, a, you heard it here first. It's, folks. it's organ- the NBA is organized like marketing, especially marketing wise, is organized around its stars, and like so is the NFL market around its stars, and baseball does that too. But like you said, this is already kind of a regional sport, and the national distribution is. I mean, it's getting smaller seemingly like, you know, there are f- I feel like there are fewer games on national TV now than there were even like 10 years ago, much less like 20. Yeah. Does it feel like that to you as well? Like MLB yes. Network kind of semi excluded? I think that's for sure true. And I think it's also something that like you notice more in the playoffs come around because you're like kind of uh, overloaded. You're like, wow, baseball's on all the time now. Like baseball is everywhere. Uh, so when you see the TBS stuff and things like that, you're like, oh, this is what it is like for the NFL and NBA. Major League Baseball doesn't really have that. It just feels like it's all regional outside of like the Sunday game. Yeah, and, and I guess, I mean, part of that too is just, and I know it's been talked about before, MLB is kind of, was in, in terms of MLB being kind of slow to especially things like social media and kind of, you know, they, they've made, they've made strides now, but certainly like the way highlights, especially were policed on things like YouTube and on social media. Um, 
definitely did not really do them any favors. And like, I don't know. I mean, a, a thousand scientists for a thousand years could consider the question of why isn't baseball quote unquote better marketed. And I don't know that they're going to come up with an answer. Like it, it's, it does feel like something like once you start talking about it, you quickly realize that there doesn't seem to be a good solution because there are so many things that are, there's so many variables that are just beyond control that it's like, I, I don't know how to come up with something that would be anything close to a guarantee. Also, because I'm, I'm not in marketing, so that's another part of it. Yeah. Well, John, that naturally brings us to Luke Voigt being activated. Okay, he's he's back. How excited are you for Luke Voigt to uh, make his return to the New Big, Yankees beefy lineup? homer guy? I, I will always welcome my big, beefy homer guys. <laughs> and he's one of the bigger, beefier ones, especially now that Vlad Jr.'s not as beefy, mm. which is good. Vlad Jr. is slimming down as, as very clearly um, helped him tap into his you know, actual Vlad Jr. self, but Voight, so I, I appreciate Voight's just his, his strong ox self. And that's, that's always fun to say. I love my big beefy Homer guys. How much of a difference does he make early on for the Yankees lineup? I mean, a lot, obviously just in regards to, I mean, I mean, first of all, you talk about a guy who as, as weird as it sounds, say led the league in the 60 or led the, led the league in a 60 game season in home runs. Like obviously caveat led the league in home runs last year. Um, huge bat in the middle, especially to be a guy behind, especially with with Giancarlo Stanton hitting the way he is, like to be the guy hitting behind him and being able to drive him in. I mean, this is a dude who has like a career now with the Yankees, and I, I just love this. A uh, 144 OPS plus with the Yankees and a 93 OPS plus with Seattle or Seattle St. Louis. That's just remarkable. This is remarkable how Brian Cashman does this nonsense. Um, God, I. Oh, what a what an annoying general manager he is, truly. <laughs> oh, if you're that's the thing. If you're not a Yankees fan, goodness gracious, you just you know, you want to just uh, get out of my face with that nonsense. Ugh. But <laughs> sorry, just he really <laughs> just he really just Red Sox just, here. I like it. He just really is one of those those Yankees players, or you know, where you're just like, how the how the hell? Um, but what I wanted to note too is that. First base has obviously been a huge problem for the Yankees. They tried Jay Bruce there, and he was so bad he retired. They've tried Mike Ford there, but Mike Ford pretty clearly seems to be a quad A bat at this point. They played DJ LeMahieu there, but then obviously that forced them to use Rugnet Odor. Now that Rugnet Odor is hurt, they can't use LeMahieu there anymore. Um, so, I mean, add it all up. First base, if the Yankees were hitting, and this is all, all pre-void, obviously, 150, 250, 244 in 144 plate appearances. That is a 494 OPS plus. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hmm. Or sorry, not OPS plus, just regular OPS. 494 OPS plus would be awesome. Uh, just a regular 494 OPS. That's horrible. And Voight if he's healthy and if he's anywhere near the Luke Voigt we've seen, we'll obviously change that. So that's enormous. That is, 
the weakest performing position in their lineup instantly getting improved. Um, the, now, granted, the Yankees have some other problems going on there, too. Left field has been a mess because of Clem Frazier's slump. Uh, shortstop has not been good because Glaber Torres has been slumping. Uh, LeMahieu has well, been slumping. Well, let me pause up. right there. Glaber. We now have a lot more bats. We have a lot more evidence. We have a lot more data. Is yeah. It, is I've... it safe to say 2018, 2019 Glaber is never coming back? I, I don't know. Like, it's, I mean, on the plus side with Glaber, like, and it's, granted, it, it's a lot of silver, it's a lot of silver linings to gray clouds or, or whatnot, or it's a lot of, you're looking for a lot of slim positives, so to speak. Um, the thing with Glaber is he's a patient hitter, and he is still showing that patience. He still has a walk rate. That is in the 80th or the 70 and 79th percentile, excuse me, through by Statcast rankings. He's not striking out that much. He doesn't chase pitches, but the worrisome thing, and you were seeing it last year too, he's just not hitting the ball hard anymore. His hard hit rate is roughly the same as those as those early years, but as, and especially the expected um, the expected stats just show like a, a, a like a lowering of just it, it's just strange. He just he's not finding the barrel anymore, and what I find interesting is that cor- that you know that correlates with all the extra walking, but and this is something I noticed too. He went from crushing fastballs to just getting destroyed by them, and I don't understand what's going on there. I don't understand how a guy who could easily hit uh, ninety four, you know, or, or hit the yeah, excuse me, who could easily hit ninety five mile an hour fastballs as a twenty year old, all of a sudden, only only two years later, can't hit them at all. Especially when he's hitting well, or at least reasonably well, against off-speed pitches and breaking stuff. It's not like he's getting destroyed by everything. He's just not producing on fastballs. So, I don't understand why that is, because I'm not a hitting coach. I, I wouldn't be able to break down a swing or anything. But, like, that at least leads me to believe that this hopefully is just a matter of working his way through it. Working his way through an adjustment, maybe? I'm not sure, because it it, it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Unless he's had an injury this whole time that he has just been hiding, and that's it's kind of hard to imagine that would still be the case this long into it. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, your guy Byron Buxton hurt again. The Minnesota Twins yeah. having a really just a a season from hell early on. Yeah. Yeah. If you want a good breakdown on that, uh, Jay Jaffe wrote about it for us on Fangraphs, and actually, you know, leading off with Buxton's injury and what a bummer that is, especially because. It's. I mean, it's this. It's if the same if or similar, if not the same injury that um, Luis Robert soft, suffered, that knocked him out for the season. Um, I think they were saying initially after this is going to be at least you know m- several weeks. And yeah, I just man, does that bum me out? I just I just wanted a healthy Bucks and like this was what it was going to be. That everything you saw was that. That's what he was just going to keep doing because he's that good. He's that good. Ah, oh, man, this bumps me out. Oh, I just need a minute here. Okay. But yeah, the Twins, they have real big problems. <laughs> they have real big problems. They're not, oh. they're, they're just not hitting consistently. The outfield is a total mess right now. They lost Kirilov on top of Buxton. Mm. Like They just called up a prospect, like, didn't they, today? Um, Trevor Larnack? They, yes. I mean, yeah, they have now, but I mean, that's, and, and Nick Gordon, I mean, that's, they're, it, I mean, those aren't necessarily desperation call-ups, but it does show you that, you know, the, the Twins are having to burn through a lot of their minor league depth right now because, you know, not only have guys not performed, but they've had so many injuries to deal with. 
really on a both like long-term injuries and then just these constant small injuries that have just forced them to use guys over and over. Like Sano has missed time. Donaldson has missed time. Simmons has missed time. Um, Buxton has obviously missed a lot of time. Sorry? Shannon Stewart's not picking up his phone. Yeah, and, and you're not you're not going to get a hold of um, – oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to fail to remember a twin. I was going to say Hunter. Gary Gaetti, but he was never an outfielder, or at least he wasn't an outfielder in that time. Are you going to go Torrey uh, Hunter there? Yeah, I guess I could have said Torrey Hunter, but that that's not a guy, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking more of like a – ooh, I just, I just need to do this real quick. I'm just going to randomly pull up the 2001 Minnesota Twins <laughs> and one of the back outfielders. Hold on, because this is going to this is going to be great. Bobby Keelty. There we mm, go. That, felt, that is a good one. Dustin Moore. That mm. one felt really good. Oof. Let's remember some Quinton twins McCracken on this podcast. Was on his team. Let's go. <laughs> Matt uh, Lawton. That's a great twin to remember. Was Brad Radke and, leading that rotation at that time? Was Brad Radke leading that rotation at that time? Damn right he was alongside Joe Mays and Eric Milton. Oh, you'd love to see it. This is an incredible guys rotation. <laughs> Mays, Radke, Milton, Kyle Loesch, mm. and Rick Reed. <laughs> Plus, for some reason, 11 starts out of J.C. Romero. Wait, what? Yeah, 25-year-old J.C. Romero was on the 2001 Twins and made 11 starts for them. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really random. That's really Hector Carrasco random. was on this team. Bob Wells was on this team. You know what you don't see that much anymore? Like, middle relievers between the ages of 33 and 37. <laughs> Those guys are gone. What happened to them? They wanted too much Bob money. Wells. Where are the Bob's Wells? Where, where are they? Where's Bob Wickham? Yeah, where's Bob Wickham? Where are all the old veteran relievers? Todd <laughs> Jones. Where's Todd Jones? <laughs> Sucks. Yeah. Um, speaking sucks. of old guys, but yeah, the, John. Twins, the twins are the twins are definitely in some trouble right now. And the lucky thing for them, obviously, is that Chicago has been just as well, not just as bad, but has had similar issues and is going to, you know, has obviously been impacted by those issues. And the Kansas City, obviously, they you know they lost, or I don't know, I can't, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up just to double check, but they you know lost eight in a row going into. Today's action, I just don't know if they played today or not. Um, but regardless, they're coming back to they're coming back to the field. I mean, they're they're now below below five hundred, back in third place. It's pretty clear that the AL Central is not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a dogfight. It doesn't feel like there's still time for the Twins, but they're seven games back, and their playoff odds. Let me just take a quick look over at Fangraphs.com, where you can find our playoff odds for. Pretty much every division, every team, whatever you want to see. Trying to sell it on the fly. It's not it's not it's not a great sense. It doesn't sound great, but we're gonna work through it. I mean I sell it at, at the end of this podcast every week. I'm go. very pro fan graphs on this podcast. Uh, but their their playoff their playoff percentage is already down to twenty one percent. Oh. And their division winning percentage is down to fourteen percent. Hmm. That's not great. They I mean there's time to there's time to pull this around, but like they it needs to happen now would be ideal because this hole can't get much bigger. If you're in double digits by Memorial Day, you are in serious trouble. Yeah. that. Uh... And, then, and then what's going to be really interesting to see is if the Twins are down by that by that much, um, 
come the deadline especially are we going to see guys like Josh Donaldson go on the go on the trade block Kent Ameda Michael Pineda Nelson Cruz wouldn't that be something I mean it's not going to happen but I think that would make the Twins would definitely be a semi-interesting seller for sure in terms of what they could offer but it's, it's mostly veteran talent that they wouldn't get a whole lot back for is the only problem I mean, the Twins becoming sellers is a very interesting development. Far more interesting than the it, Indians. I mean, I'm not becoming... saying I'm I'm not saying it's going to happen, but just that they, they like I said they need to turn it around sooner or else then we are actually seriously going to be talking about it. Um, cuz that would be bad. It would be bad. Um speaking of bad, Albert Pujols his future I would say is is not not great in major league I mean, his future is pretty cool he's a he's a guaranteed hall of famer and a multimillionaire. oh for sure for oh. sure but his actual playing and going out and um oh no yeah that just sucks like no, yeah just to go out like that just that sucks i mean i get it like as far i mean as far as i understand it the story is that he approached the angels front office about not getting playing time and that they all agreed that this was for the best right that he was just that they were going to release him to let him try to find another team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a that's a brutal way to go out. If only because I think Pujols is going to find very quickly that no one's interested. Yeah. Like no one at all. I think the most he's going to get is an offer from the Cardinals mm. to come there, sign a one day contract or whatever, retire a Cardinal, with the promise that we'll retire your number. We'll put you in our hall of whatever the hell who cares you know you'll become an icon here because you're still you still freaking are somehow which is crazy because you think like young cardinal what what attachment do young cardinals fans have to albert pools i guess maybe it's maybe it's for the best he only exists as his perfect avatar regardless like <laughs> i would imagine that's, i mean but that's probably an offer on the table from the cardinals whenever yeah i'm sure they i'm sure they told them like you know once you decide it's over like come talk to us Give him the Tomba Holly treatment. But, like, I, I mean, what team in baseball needs an old, immobile first baseman DH who doesn't who doesn't hit well? Yeah, I would say if there was an, a universal DH this year, he has a shot. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe. But it's just not... What there's if, just, like, there's, you got to think about the bad teams, you know. you got to think about the teams that have nothing to lose, and they're just like, let's make some gate money by just having pool holes in the lineup. But like no one, but that's the thing. No one is gonna pay money to come see forty-one-year-old Albert Pujols hit two hundred fifty-foot pop-ups. Well, like people on. are. Will Leach. It's literally his launch day for his book. How lucky that you should go order on Amazon. Let's not take shots at Will and how he spends his money to watch forty-one-year-old Albert Pujols wherever he's wherever he's playing. But the but like the point is, <laughs> aside from from delightful people like Will who is insane. <laughs> No one is going to want to go see old Albert. This, it'd be like going to see old Willie Mays. It's just depressing. And it, mm. it, it's much easier, obviously, now for that to get around to be like people. I mean, this is the other thing. It's not what we're talking about. Like, this is a sudden fall off for Albert Pujols. And like, he's all of a sudden bad. And we're all like, how did this happen? Superman lost his powers or whatever. No, he's been terrible for like eight years. Yeah. He's been bad for a long time. Like, he has not been himself in since he left the St. Since he left St. Louis. And so, like, I don't think. I don't think there's any group of people other than Cardinals fans who really have any desire to see him. Like, I think Cardinals fans would be the only fan base that would be excited for him to come back. Unless it was, unless it's like, and he's also going to be playing regularly, at which point they'll all go, wait, what? 
because that's also going to be the dividing line. No one wants to watch Albert Pujols play for their team at this point in time because he's not good anymore. There's nothing left in the bat. I think and he Cubs doesn't offer anything like else. To sign him just for this year, and when Rizzo needs a day off, put Pujols in there. No, just that to... would just be. That would just no. That's so. <laughs> the Cubs do that. That's all about the publicity, and I think. I think. I also. I also do think that Pujols is one of those guys who would just be like, "No, I respect the Cardinals too much." Like, yeah, or something. I don't know. Maybe, but like, I. I just, Derek Lee didn't. I. I think what might happen is, or I think what could happen is, he. He's probably gonna have to wait for an injury, and. An injury to like not like a star because I think the teams that lose stars probably have better ways to deal with it than Albert Pujols, mm-hmm. but like a semi-useful like backup first baseman to get hurt maybe I don't know but the minor leagues are full of those guys. Regardless, he needs I think he needs injuries. I think he needs a, a roster to get thinned out because I don't I don't think any of the bad teams are going to bother with him because they're going to be like what's the point? We know who you are. You're bad. Why why do we care that to give you a shot? Like what gate revenue like? It's a pandemic season. Like no one's like, we're not gonna get full gate revenue. Who cares? It's not like people are gonna come to watch your crusty ass. It's a little much, but you know what I mean. Man, that was rough. Um, <laughs> speaking of rough, the Braves bullpen bringing back Shane Green there... this week. Oh, okay. Uh, Has it been rough? I I have not been keeping up with the Braves bullpen. Oh well, you're you're missing out on a treat, John Taylor. It doesn't, from the way you phrased and uh, said that, no, it, it does not sound like I'm missing out on a treat at all. No, but it's it's okay, because Waskar Yanoa is such a delight that... Uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the Braves' bullpen right now, his numbers seem fine, except for Josh Tomlin, and well, if you're expecting good numbers out of Josh Tomlin at age 36, I don't know what to tell you. AJ Minter is a terrifying specimen. Um, I mean, is John it still numbers? gone. Chris Martin. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the the, the Smith, bad parts of that bullpen are bad, yeah. like the Jesse Biddle, Jacob Webb, Grant oh, Dayton. Jacob Webb, I don't them. want to talk about. Not Jacob. Oh Webb yeah. Guy. Oh right. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, yes, that was very, very silly. This is um, this is an anti-Jacob Webb podcast, John. The the bad parts are bad, but like Smith, Minter, Matzik, Jackson is it's all right. You can have you it. Do work. I mean, I, I'd like to add you one guy you, to that. You want it, John? You can have all three. We'll trade I mean, three I'm, for I'm three. Not really a few things. One, <laughs> Will Smith, Josh Tomlin, AJ Minter, Tyler Matzik, and Luke Jackson. That is an incredible combination of Georgia names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number two, how many guys that look like them have you seen in the greater <laughs> Atlanta area in your time there? Uh, AJ Minter types I see a lot more here in Tennessee. I Will Smith. For sure. Luke Jackson was more in college. Saw a lot more of Luke Jackson's in college. I think who I see the most now in Georgia is like the Dansby types. Oh, okay. Well, regardless, because I just realized that is a good old boy bullpen right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of, a lot of types that's... running around Buckhead, I would yeah. say. That's a, that's a lot of country in one bullpen. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're built different. Um, speaking of built different... <laughs> Jerry, it means what's the what's the dumb SEC motto? A dumb SEC motto. It's it it just means more, John. It just means more. There you go. It just means more in the Braves bullpen. Don't act like you don't know that that thing. You wake up on That's, fall I, I, Saturdays. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember what it was. I didn't want to say something dumb. Well, I mean, I know you text me in the fall in the baseball off season when you're like, I don't want to watch any baseball today. I want to watch some SEC football. You're like, Chase, what should oh, I watch? And I'm like, John, I got you. 
and then I lay. Yeah, out I'm out t- there watching Mississippi, South Carolina, or whatever. Yeah. What do you think about Matt Coral at Ole Miss this fall? You like him? I don't know what any of those <laughs> words mean. <laughs> um, you know what's interesting? This is a side tangent, but I I've become increasingly surprised at how hyper-focused sports writers have gotten on like one particular sport where I'll see on Twitter that like certain people that I just assumed watched everything but just had a passion for the NBA are just completely oblivious to every other sport outside of the NBA. It is... I mean, that's that started happening with me because, like, in part because, like, because I was since I was writing about baseball, I had to pay attention to it all the time. And now, obviously, you know, editing for Fangraphs, I'm still paying attention to it. And that just kind of ended up crowding out every other sport. Mm. And it, it didn't help that, like, you know, if, you know, going with my, my Boston allegiances, that meant the Patriots and the NFL, which was just, at a certain point, like, the combination of things surrounding both football and the Patriots was enough for me to go, you know what, I'm just out on this entire experience. Like this, this brings me no joy at this point. Um, just it just makes me winning. feel kind of gross. Yeah, you just you get you get you get you get so used to the winning, it just doesn't feel like anything anymore. And then the Celtics. I wanted to get into the Celtics this season now that the NBA was semi back to normal. <laughs> but then they turned that. out to be. Yeah, then they turned out to be kind of a misshapen mess, and now everybody's hurt, and so I'm kind of glad I sat this one out. Um, and I don't care about hockey, so there's that. And I know I've never had like a Premier League team or another international sport anything or, or anything like that. So for me, that's the other thing. It's like you're not a it's a pretty thin New list England. of things I would pay attention to on the regular. And it, it's pretty much baseball and basketball. And so baseball is just going to win, you know, ten like nine times out of ten. Well, see, like the way my brain works, I can't handle it. I'm either all in or not. Like if I just and, stop... and then the other thing is like, well, the other thing for me is like college sports. Like I went to a school where athletics was like not a thing that anyone tried so where did you go i have no team i have no team to root for in anything or no school rather where did you go columbia okay were they the lions sorry are they the lions the lions yeah good job okay nice nice pull Uh, hey i think they're baby blue i want to say the columbia lions are yeah yeah it's actually a nice it's a nice shade of blue it's a shame it's a nice color it's just the, the teams are all I don't want to say they're all garbage, but like, I mean, one, it's it's Ivy League sports. It's not exactly, it's not exactly fucking Ohio State, Michigan, <laughs> the big house. And like, two, like most of the time, Columbia was awful at pretty much everything. Who's there the were a few rival? standouts every now and then, but like, like there's never been a good football team. Not never. There was one in the mid '90s that won an Ivy League title that Marcellus Wiley was on randomly. Hmm. Um, but that that was now almost 30 years ago, and they've never been good since. Um, who's y'all's biggest rival? Uh, I don't really know if we have one. Like, there's not a Harvard tier Yale. No, because Harvard has Yale and Princeton has Penn, and then that leaves Brown, Dartmouth, Cornell, and Columbia. Mm-hmm. But like Columbia and Cornell don't really consider themselves rivals, and Dartmouth and Brown aren't really into that anyway. Yeah, it doesn't really leave us with anybody. We gotta figure. This I guess out. that's the other thing. It's like there's no big rivalry, you know. You just kind of hate everyone else. <laughs> oh. this, is, this is what the people tuned in for, by the way, is a, is a frank discussion of Ivy League sports. Well, to be fair, they didn't get to enjoy them this year, John. They were all canceled. <laughs> they did not because the Ivy Leagues were like, no, we're not going to get kids killed to finish sixth in 
lacrosse. <laughs> Which naturally, John. It should, it, mm-hmm. it should tell you something that the best the best um, sports team or the best sport whatever the most mm-hmm. the best performing sport at Columbia was the fencing team. Have you ever fenced? No, I've never fenced. It's it looks impossible and terrifying. I would, you know, what would be my biggest fear. Is getting hit with the with the little whippy sword? Yeah, that no. sucks. No, even even worse. I feel like I have the the body type and the reflexes and the speed to actually be good, and that'd be uh-huh. a, a, that would just be an atrocity. Like I would I'd be so humiliated that I was good at fencing. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that your expectations would be too high for it. No, 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 no. I'm saying that like I just try it. And I'm actually like really good at it, and then they're like, oh, "Oh, you're one of those guys who are good at fencing." That's a weird. What's wrong with being good at fencing? That'd be awesome. I don't know. I don't think that's something you want to be. Good sounds at, like John. that sounds like cool as hell. I'd love to be good at fencing. What a cool thing that would be. Mm. Are you mentioning it just that looks on your first really date? difficult? What's that? Are you going to mention that on your first date? Is that a first date topic of conversation? I feel like only if you're doing it. Um, if it's beyond more than just casually, you know, mm. I guess I don't know how one casually fences, but like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I get it. Just I guess a better way of phrasing it is it depends on how much of, of a uh, how how big a part it plays in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, is it like are you like a fencing diehard, a devotee, where that's like that's my personality <laughs> is like I'm a fencer. You know, like the same way some people are like I'm a rock climber, I'm a uh, a, a football guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. That sounds stupid, but um, are you a chess guy? What are you? I'm, am I? A, I'm not. A, no, I'm not. A, I don't know how to play chess. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I vaguely learned at one point, but I never. Found, I just didn't find the game very interesting. Battleship, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Do you play board, board game at all? Did I like? Yeah, no, I played board games. I'm just trying to remember which one I like. I liked Monopoly. Monopoly's fine. Never played Monopoly in my life. Really? Yeah. Wow, you have saved yourself some fights in your life. Then Monopoly is a, is a blood sport. Well, um, I've saved myself time. I was just always like, yeah, I'm not going to spend six and a half hours. I'm a person that asks, how long will this take? And uh, oh, Scra- you- I like Scrabble. Yeah. Scrabble's cool. Never played Scrabble. Okay, well, well, you're missing out on the words. I don't think we had board games growing up. Like, I had chess. Oh, okay, well, that's... Like, that was it. Like, we didn't own. have board games in our house at all. And then I've met people where, like, no, we had board family game night all the time. And, like, I've met I, so I many people like the, that. I never did family game night. Okay. Well, I'm glad that is the case because i only I, played board games in like school or at like other at like friends houses or at like hmm. summer camps or whatever stuff like that i did wish I did. growing up that i was a magic the gathering guy i wish i knew what was going on because my next door neighbor who's older and cooler was really good at it and they would go to magic the gathering like duels and i was like that looks cool those cards the fun- look cool the funny thing is that game seems like very expensive because the cards themselves are very expensive oh are they or apparently, like some of them are like super rare. I don't know. There's like it's both like a game and a collector's industry. It's kind of it's the vibe I kind of get. Hmm. I would but not like. Know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what kind of guy I am. <laughs> I'm a well, report back memes. next week, John. I'm a memes guy. That sounds terrible. I don't want to be a memes guy. You're kind of a Simpsons guy. That's one of my interests. Yeah. It's one of my. It's one of my passions. Okay. Never. You would hate to know that I've never watched an episode of The Simpsons. No, that's fine. I, I know plenty of people who never watched it. I love American Dad, though. I've seen every episode of that. That show seems alright. American Dad's good. It's a good show. Um, speaking of American Dad, everyone's American Dad. Jared Kalinick getting promoted. 
for the Seattle Mariners after just that didn't, a, that didn't um, make any sense. He's not he's not an American dad. John, it's the way I was doing this lead. Like it was it was seamless. Yeah. People were just like, I guess he's an American dad, and we didn't know. Yeah. People aren't going to call me on that. There's they're not an audience here. Um, sure there is. <laughs> Uh, clinic though. After just a very easy breezy last year with the Seattle organization, and just an easy breezy off season for the front office in Seattle, clinic getting promoted for the Mariners. Are you excited? Do you think he's going to mash right away? I mean, I don't know about right away. Nobody ever mashes right away. The thing I always point to when people ask, like, do you think, like, or, or not when people ask, it makes me sound like I'm some prophet on a mountaintop that people go to seek out. But, like, whenever I talk to people about, like, top prospects or, or whatnot and, like, are they what are they going to be when they get here, I always like to point out that, like, the first season of Mike Trout's career, not his, not his all-star rookie of the year season, um, but the first, his, his 40, the 40 games he played in 2011 and 19, he hit 220, 281, 390 for an 89 OPS plus. And he struck out uh, three, three times to every walk. Actually, he kind of did for a bit, but now does way less. Um, granted, that's 19 years old from Mike Trout. Like that's, but like that's, but that's kind of the point. It's like that, that's Mike Trout. That's the best player in the goddamn world. And his first 40 games are ass. <laughs> and like, yeah, sure, he was 19, and Jared Kalenic is not 19. I don't think he's 19, but it's hard. the The game of baseball is very hard. And I don't want to predict anything with one way or the other with regards to how how a guy's going to do. Especially because I also I don't I haven't seen Kalenic hit or play. Um, I've you know I from what I've read he's a fantastic player. I know he was number five I want to say on our Fangraphs Top 100, um, which you should go check out and read Eric's blurb on him if you'd like to learn more about him. I wonder, though, I mean, I just, I feel bad for the guy in two ways. One is that that there's, I imagine, going to be a fair amount of pressure on him immediately. I don't think it's going to be placed on him by necessarily, like, the fan base or the media, because that's, you know, those aren't exactly giant things in Seattle. I mean, the fan, I mean, not, not nothing against Mariners fans. Mariners fans are cool. I like Mariners fans. I'm just saying there aren't a lot of you. Um, but I, whatever pressure I think he places on himself to perform and I also feel bad because of the it, all the context surrounding this. This should just be a happy thing that this kid's getting called up. But instead, it's in the context of those idiotic, horrible comments the team president made in that over that Zoom like li, like Lions Club or whatever thing, which is the most random way for that to happen. About how you know, yes, the Mariners were very clearly like you know playing service time games with prospects, and then he gets called up, you know, very you know. After seven games of seasoning in AAA, oh, now he's ready. It's like, come on, man. We all know what this is. It just, it just sucks for him. The same way it sucked for Chris Bryant. Just have to come up and deal with this. And just to have it just be kind of rubbed in your face that this is how it works. You know? And but so that, fair, I feel bad for him for that. To be fair, but, service time manipulation has been solved. Did, it, did it get fixed while I was... What, what, when, did it, when did it get fixed? Did I miss that? Oh, when the president was fired. That was, that was it. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, that fixed it. That, that did fix it entirely. <laughs> that was it. Um, he's got a strong Bryce Harper vibe to me. Uh, I like his headband game. Like that as a headband okay. wearer myself when I'm out here exercising on these streets. Uh, big chain, big beads guy. Definitely your vibe. Yeah. Um, speaking of, and then we'll wrap up here, John. 
Uh, Braves fans really hate Bryce Harper, I learned over the weekend. And I, I just forget this sometimes, okay. just how much they hate him. But there's like this weird disconnect with how they talk about Bryce Harper versus like, I can understand, I guess. Like, he, everybody has their own, like, just personal feelings towards how other people are and behavior and stuff like that. It's like, that's more my speed. That's not. Um, they just correlate Bryce Harper's emotion with what kind of player he is. And just the mm. overrated stuff that I see all the time where of like, this guy stinks and like overrated blah. Um, I just, I don't understand. Bryce Harper's awesome. He's been awesome for a long time. He's probably on his way to what, being a first ballot Hall of Famer? Like he's, uh, he's pretty great. He's been pretty great this year too. Um, I don't understand the way Braves fans talk about Bryce Harper or the people who hate Bryce Harper. It, it doesn't really make any sense to me. Nothing about it. It's just because, I mean, it's not even Harper's fault that he is perceived the way he is. I mean, it, I guess it is to a certain degree if you, argue, if you argue and you can argue successfully that he created and bought into it. But, like, the hype was not something he really, I think, ever had control over. Right. And the hype is not his fault in the first place. He got put on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 17 years old or 16 or whatever it was. That's insanity. He, him and LeBron and then whatever... Olympian uh, did something at the age of that, like Chloe Kim or or or, um, uh, or or whoever else. Like that that kind of hype is really hard to overcome, no matter what the hell you do. And yeah. it's it's not fair. It's like because like, you're right. Like the, Channing overrated Bryce Harper is the stupidest thing. One, he will just destroy your ass for it. Like the, haven't we seen enough of him either? dunking on some dude by shouting something back at them or then immediately hitting a home run why fuel him he very clearly runs on rage <laughs> super fun to watch sometimes like, i, I kind of wish Harper. he would like he he has that kind of lebron vibe to him sometimes where it's like you can tell that when he gets mad he taps into this like superpower he has you can yeah. tell, like, when he wants something, like, he just, like, he just reaches this higher plane of existence. Because, like, it always, it just makes me think of that LeBron, that Celtics Heat series back in uh, 2012. The good job, good effort Heat, Heat Celtics series where I think the, Celt or the Heat were down, I think, 3-2 going back to Boston. And LeBron just went Terminator in game six. I don't think he smiled once all night. Yeah. He, I think he'd be—he'd been hearing it for like days about how he was soft and a choker and overrated, and he just went nuclear on in the next game. But I think there are gonna be Braves fans who hear this and they're like, "Are you comparing him to LeBron? This guy's not even close to LeBron." It's like, ugh, you're missing. But that's the not point. the point. It's not right. the point to say like, "No, Bryce Harper is not baseball's LeBron," if only because that also doesn't exist. Like, no one is baseball's LeBron. But I mean, just in terms of that one element of their either their personality or their game that they they seem to share is this like intense like like feeling of just like i'm going to shut you the hell up you are never going to call me shit again vibe and like if Braves fan want to chant that at him fine it's dumb as hell but you can go ahead and do it. it's a free country but like that's my thing man it's the hype is not his fault and also he is way better than than you think like whatever whatever your tiny brain has come up with like he's gonna make you eat those damn words that's what that dude seems to live to do I, would I appreciate have him in the outfield than Christian Pache right now. Man, the Pache, like that game against the Phillies, um, where he was up bad against Brandon Kinsler, he just got like three fastballs straight down the pike, belt high, and he did nothing with them. Mm -hmm. That's how little respect he gets right now. 
that's not that's not someone who should be hitting at the major leagues right now. No, it's it's time to go. He's been like he might be under a hundred now. Um, yeah, no, it's it's bad. Um, John, they, they pitched him like a pitcher. Like, yes. he's basically a pitcher up there, which is great because there's a universal DH, so you can just hide him at the nine spot. Oh, there's not. Okay, so there's <laughs> two bad spots. Um, John Taylor, what uh, yes. can we check out from you across the internet and at Fangraphs.com? We mentioned a, key, a few pieces. Jay Jaffe's friend of the pod. Um, any other ones? Any, Dan Sembrowski, does he have anything coming out this week? Uh, Dan had something the other day on uh, batting average on balls in play, kind of over and under achievers. But trying to think. Um, no, I mean, we've we've got our usual good stuff daily. I mean, like I said, Jay wrote about the Twins. He also wrote about the runner on second rule and how he how he thinks it's reached its uh, its unhappy end or how he thinks it should should be reaching its unhappy end. Uh, one piece I really like that I edited is by uh, one of our new hires named Owen McGratton. He wrote about Shohei Otani developing a new cutter, but not just one cutter, potentially two different cutters, which is really weird and kind of crazy to think about. So I definitely encourage you to read that piece if you're into the especially if you're into pitch design stuff it's super interesting um but yeah that's like i said i mean that that's that's the fan graph shuffle right i mean that's that's always what we got so there you go there you go john taylor always a pleasure my friend uh i'll talk to you soon sounds good man back on the chase thomas podcast i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas and i'm joined by a first timer from coog center every good washington state cougars blog that i check out every single day because i'm a weirdo i love the pac-12 because no one else is staying up for the pac-12 and i've got to do it for america and all my friends to be informed it's craig powers craig good afternoon sir how are you i'm great um i appreciate that uh that you know, the intro for my website, uh, you know, we, we do try to have content every day just for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, I just, I, I love Kook Center dating back to the Brian Floyd days. Um, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I also just go through all of the different websites. So like I am, uh, doing this podcast daily. Um, people think I'm joking when they, when I tell them about my, like my daily routine and just my Google sheets. I don't know if you're like this at all. Craig, but I have just Google Sheets that organize all my different sports, and all. Then there's like a whole college one because that's just a different big beast entirely. And I break it all up, and I just go through and um, everything. So I I probably spend hour two hours um, going through every single team block and just reading and finding all the different stuff that I need to pick up on. Like uh, it's it's just what I do in Kook Center, one of my favorites. Awesome, that that's great to hear. Um, I I. Uh... I don't write there quite as much as I do, but I still, man, you know, manage it and, and edit it. And, and when, once football season comes around that you'll, you'll see a lot more from me at least. And we do our podcast too. Um, so we, we like to, we have fun with it. So I'm glad you're able to enjoy it too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have y'all planned on hiring a new commissioner in the PAC 12? Uh, were y'all going to get around to that at some point? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think any Kook fan might say, "Don't hire Bill Moose," uh, but um, uh, but uh, we'll we'll see what they do. You know, I they're probably pretty wary after the last hire. Um, who he uh, Larry looked like a great hire to begin with, and then turned out to 
have his issues. Um, so yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully they can they can hire someone and and uh, someone that can help the Pac-12 win better. Uh, you know, be creative with their TV deals and make more money and get you know kind of get on even par or at least closer with you know the SEC and all these other league, the Big Ten, all these leagues that are making tons of money now. That is the biggest question I have about the Pac-12 is whether or not you use the term even par. And it's something that on the Thursday college football show here that I just argued with my friend about because he is just a diehard SEC person and just the SEC dominance and a lot of it's just location and what high school football means in those states versus mm-hmm. the state of Washington and just the kind of recruits that you can get. There's only, it will never be even. College football will never be an even playing field. But I just, I don't know what, I think Larry Scott, two things can be true. Larry Scott did a bad job, and the Pac-12 is always going to be at a disadvantage uh, against the SEC. And I think being on at 1030, like Pac-12 after dark is a great marketing thing, but that's for a niche yeah. Twitter audience. That's for a niche group of college football fans. It's not for a national group of people that are like, oh yeah, Pac-12 after dark that random father of four says in Nebraska or in yeah. the Alabama. Like that's just not on their radar. So when you're not on the CBS 330 slot and all your games are on late, recruits on the East Coast. So if you want to get eyeballs there, like the best chance is just having them on campus that weekend instead of them just tuning in and seeing it. I, I don't know. I just think it's always going to be complicated and I I don't have an answer. Does that just something that you still think about or you're just like it is what it is? No, yeah, definitely. You know, obviously they tried. They're trying. You know, nine a.m. Uh, local time games, yeah. uh, which in Pullman would be a, a bit of a nightmare because it's such a long trip for most of the alums to get there. But, uh, but yeah, so that yeah, they're trying nine a.m. games. But yeah, it, it, on top of the you know the late starts, it's the fact that they they made this bet on the Pac-12 network and distributed them themselves themselves and uh and it ended up you know they didn't get on direct tv they didn't get on some other major providers and and so there's just kind of like a uh it's a it's a tough network to get and and a lot of the games are on there so a lot of your like just middle of the road games you know you can, so you you don't even see those so the ones that are on fox and espn um so yeah that it even you know that that random you know a lot of us college football fans will just watch a random you know uh you got like tennis or texas tech is playing uh baylor or something in the middle in the middle of the day on on a you know on a on saturday and you're like cool i'll, I'll watch this but like most most fans can't do that with the Pac-12 because those games are on the Pac-12 network and uh most the people that have Pac-12 network are either diehard college football fans or they're just pa- fans of those schools you know I'm I've I've lived around the country and I always had to try to get Pac-12 network so I could watch WSU um and and that so that that's the type of people you get um so that the way they distribute the games is going to have to change, I, I think. And, and um, yeah, they have to look into different times. You know, if you have one game at 730, that's fine. But if you're, if you're having – sometimes there will be two or three games that late. Like, I mean, you got like half of your schedule is when the East Coast is going to bed. I used to live on the East Coast. And it was rough, you know, watching Mike Leach teams throw the ball 70 times and you're up till 2 a.m. And like pretty much a guarantee, you can't even go to a bar to watch a game because there's no guarantee the bar will still be open when it gets over. So yeah, a lot of that is tough. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely like the there there's 
there needs to be ideas and the different new ways to come up with distributing the games because yeah the just the the financial deficit is so large at this point um and you're you're seeing that not only impact football but other sports like the sec is suddenly good at basketball and things like that you know like uh, we saw nate Oates talk about how he loves how much football how much money alabama football makes because it helps his team you know so um you know it's 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 having a an effect trickling down but uh so we hope that you know obviously the what other tied into with larry is he spent a lot of money uh just to have like an office in san francisco and all that and we could get into that a lot more but i guess we're here to talk about wsu (laughs) yeah i I don't know the larry scott like that's uh it it is what it is it's moved on san francisco stuff i don't know if there's really more to, to chew on there uh but your ad pat sean who is widely respected across mm-hmm. college football and college sports just got an extension through 2026 and i seem to recall his name popping up for bigger jobs potentially and also just like the pac-12 commissioner job right mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah he uh he definitely popped up uh, there was northwestern and uh there was a couple others where um it not necessarily he was like the main candidate but it seemed like he was being considered or he was considering um, the job, which, uh, you know, you can't blame him for, for doing that, looking around. Um, yeah. And then obviously the commissioner stuff, um, that just seems like, uh, in my view, it just seems like something he wasn't like necessarily qualified to do right quite yet or, you know, whatever. But, um, it, it maybe if that's something he wanted to do, they were looking at him. I don't know, but I don't think he was a serious candidate for that. Um, but yeah, they gave him an extension. And so, uh, that's that's a big deal. Obviously, I, I think that tells you that um, he was looking elsewhere or, or being recruited to to go somewhere else because um, you know w, you know finances are tight for almost any school right now, but uh, WSU in particular. Um, so to to give a, a raise of, of that size, you know, fifty thousand a year to to Chun is a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, are you happy with him? Is the fan base happy with Pat Chun? Do they want him as their AD long term? Absolutely. Um, obviously, he's made some um, some great hires. Uh, we'll see how Rolovich goes, but the thought process behind Rolovich, is, um, I was totally on board with. Um, Kyle Smith uh, for basketball is looking to be a, a great hire, um, and and among others. And so, uh, and on top of that, he is uh, just. Uh, uh, as a fundraiser puts in so much effort and and has built a great program and we really have fundraising going on that at wsu that we've never seen before um bringing in bigger donors and 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 uh turning smaller donors into bigger donors it's it's uh it's it's definitely a change um, from what we've seen before um so um we're very happy with him uh we'll be we'd be pretty devastated if he left it's kind of how uh, we are here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Danny White, just a fundraising mm-hmm. machine. That was like the main uh, thing of getting him in the door uh, to take this job. It's like, oh, he's a fundraise mastermind at uh, UCF. So this is good. There's a lot of money here. And there's a, It's just a weird thing. It, it, everything about college football is basically <laughs> weird because I, I, I caught myself where I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited about this guy. He's really good at getting money from older rich people really all in on this guy and it's just a weird thing to be cheering for is like this guy's really good at that that skill isn't that strange 
Yeah, it's it's very strange. Uh, you know, uh, WSU is trying to get a, a new indoor practice facility built, and they, you know, we're, we've we're bonded out completely. We cannot borrow any more money. So, it's so he's a, going to Drew yeah. Bledsoe's uh, winery once a week yeah. to go check in, and be like, "Hey, how's the business? Able to exactly. cipher off some more funds to the the Coug fund." You know, out here it's also the, the big the wheat growers and, and the big orchardists, and that's 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 who you're looking at who getting money from. There you go. Um, in terms of actual on the field football stuff, Craig, um, what can you take away from your zero of Nick Rolovich in uh, Pullman? Yeah, you know it's really tough. It's it's tough to read into anything from that season. You know, a four game season, uh, so many uh, you know multiple games canceled because of COVID, uh, and then multiple play- tons of players being out because of either COVID opt-outs or transfers, uh, which, you know, kind of the typical amount of transfers that you see with a new coach. You always see some. Um, they had no spring ball. Obviously, coming in with a true frosh QB, that was that that was an interesting um, – I mean, it, you saw why, because they, they didn't have a ton of time to implement the offense, and he was the most athletic, could, could run the read option. Um, so that, that kind of made it easier just to implement something quick. Um, I, I don't think they they were using their full offense. Um, I, I think a good example of of ha- how you know uh, how how many players they were missing is the Utah game where they jumped out to a big lead and it just completely fell apart in the second half because they were I, they were they were dressing. Uh, like the ba- the bare minimum of players for that game and uh they just ran out of gas so that's why it's hard to read into it um i will say some you know some things like you know uh it was int- it was it was fun to watch a different offense uh you know that there are similarities in in you know how how they f- line up and stuff but there's uh, uh quite a bit of difference in, in in how you know they find space um, between the run and shoot and the air raid. So after, you know, we were in air raid school for eight years, um, it was, it was kind of refreshing just to, you know, see how, di- see a different offense, see how it works. Um, and, and another kind of unique one that not a lot of schools use. Um, so what yeah, would you so- say, how would you characterize the difference between Rolovich and Leach? Because I think a lot of casual college football fans just assumed it was more of the same, but it's just a yeah. very different style, the run and shoot versus what Leach is doing with the air raid. Um, how would you describe the difference on the field from Rolovich to Leach? Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's, uh, there's one primary difference you can look at. Okay. I'll say, I'll say two primary differences that, that um, one Leach, the, the air raid stretches the field horizontally. And so you're looking for space side to side, and then you'll use, you'll use some routes to push it deeper, but it's primarily you're, you're just kind of, making the defense guard as many people from side to side. Um, the run and shoot is much more vertical offense. So you're, you're sending guys deep quite a lot more. Um, you're not using the mesh routes, the, the crossing routes uh, nearly as much. Um, so you, you're, you're using a lot more routes where, you know, the, the outside receiver goes deep. The inside receiver runs a post, you know, so, you know, something like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's it's a horizontal versus vertical kind of strategy and then uh, from a quarterback perspective and a receiver perspective uh the air raid um 
the quarterback is waiting for the receivers are running their routes. They're running the same routes over and over and over again. And the, and the quarterback is there to read when they open up, when they're going to open up, find those soft spots. And with the, with the run and shoot, a lot of the receivers have option routes. And so it's, it's, it's incumbent upon the quarterback and the receiver to read the defense the same way. And, and the receiver makes the same cut that the, that the quarterback has read. And so uh, it, it's a much more kind of um, uh, it, it, it's not as it's not as much about repetition as, as it is about, um, I, I would say, like film study and, and reading the way defenses are played. Um, so, yeah, they both use four wideouts. Um, there's another one thing is that um, the air raid uses two backs uh, occasionally, um, quite often sometimes. But uh, you the, the run and shoots always a single back offense like it's exclusively a single back offense um which when you ask me about my favorite position group makes it kind of challenging later but uh, hmm. but uh but but uh yeah it's it's exclusively a single back offense so um you you'll see you know two backs come in in the air raid but you'll never see that in the run and shoot interesting um it's still early so it's hard to ask this question but i still want to ask it based on like maybe it's recruiting maybe it's something with hiring staff what is Rolovich gotten right and what has he gotten wrong so far in Pullman? In terms of staff, um, I, I, I think that he is uh, – uh, I think the Dickert uh, hire for defensive coordinator was a good hire. Um, one thing we immediately were kind of – took pause with is all of his hires were from kind of other uh, – you know, mid-major programs. And so there wasn't a lot of, you know, guys that came in from, from a major program. So from a recruiting standpoint, you're like, okay, are they just going to be, be targeting these, you know, low three-star type recruits and things like that. Um, and initially it kind of looked like that, but uh, they did a lot better towards the end of the recruiting class last year. And, and they already seem to be um, uh, targeting, uh, better, you know, more of the recruits that we saw from the Mike Leach time versus, you know, Paul Wolf and, and other terrible coaches. Uh, um, but, um, yeah, so that, that was, I, I, but I think, yeah, of those hires, the Dicker was a, is a real nice hire. I think he's a talented defensive coordinator. Um, uh, he came in, it's from a, a kind of a community outreach perspective. Uh, he came in really well. He, this is obviously pre-pandemic, but he uh, he came in and, and ha- he went to bars in the Seattle area where, you know, where most like 70 percent of WSU alums live in the greater Seattle area. Um, and, and, you know, just, just said, hey, guys, I'm at this bar for the night. It's like a Cougon bar. I'm at this bar for the night. Um, why don't why don't you uh, come on down? And, and it's the the tabs on me for the night. And so people saw that they, they liked that, you know, obviously, you know, Cougs will always appreciate a free beer. And and um, and so, uh, you know, that part he, he did with that. Um, I what he, what he's done wrong, you know, uh, you know, some of the, you know, kind of the there, there's been some kind of public things like where. Uh, the stuff that came out with Cassidy Woods and, and the, the phone call with him um, about opting out and, and, you know, telling him, you know, just don't even bother or whatever. And then and then he, there's been a couple of things dealing with COVID where he didn't like his messaging 100 um, percent. So that, that gives you kind of give pause, like, um, you know, what what kind of guy is this or whatever. But, you know, he seems 
he seems to you know value the players and family and things like that and and in in Pullman uh you know that that kind of family vibe is typically been how a lot of coaches do well um at least in other some sports but um yeah overall uh we're still kind of figuring out because we haven't even had like a full season to watch him play so um we hope really that you know that i I think that they'll score points um i really hope that that dicker hire improves the defense because that was really at the tail end of leach's uh a tenure had really become a huge issue what is the position group you're most excited about uh seeing play out this year yeah so i mean um there's a lot of question marks, um, but I, I I think that the one that it's just it's kind of an easy no brainer question is running back. Um, there's two you have two um, very good uh, starter quality running backs um, and you know Max Borgie is you know uh, you know seems like a guy the potential you know NFL guy. Uh, just very talented, you know, in air raid, he was very good catching the ball out of the backfield. Doesn't do that as much, um, here, but with, with the run and shoot, but he is just an extremely talented running back, really fun to watch. And then last year when he was injured, Dion McIntosh, uh, showed that he is very good. And so WC really just has two excellent running backs. So it doesn't really matter who's in the game. At, at any point in time and like i said it's only one guy is going to be in the game but we hope that they maybe for max can find um you know be creative because of his ability to catch the ball maybe you know put him out in the slot or something but we'll see uh they, they should be fun and they they should really kind of uh uh carry the offense um depending on you know the capability of our qb interesting speaking of qb i'm very familiar with one of your options um <laughs> yeah jared garantano um i think this is more of a fit him getting away from knoxville i think is going to be super helpful for him um i was there when he got booed relentlessly against kentucky this fall um good kid feel bad for him just didn't work out in knoxville um is he going to be the guy under center in week one is that what we're is that where we're at it's uh, TBD, but I'll, I'll say there was there was nothing in spring ball that seemed that he was taking the job, and mm. and uh, Rolovich's comments didn't seem to make him feel confident about the QB situation. They also tried to go after Joe Milton yeah. uh, towards the end, um, so that doesn't speak highly of of how Rolovich feels about it. Um, one thing I did want to say about Garantano is uh, you got to tell your uh, Tennessee Twitter friends to lay off of him, man. Oh, my gosh. They, anytime we tweet about him. Oh, really? They, they like name search him and they and they have to say how bad he is. And, and, you know, just every time we tweet about him, like there's Tennessee fans in, in Twitter uh, in our mentions just talking crap about him. And so I don't know, man. You, Tennessee fans, chill. It's fine. Well, hold on. He's not That's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Crick. <laughs> uh, I cannot promise something I cannot uh, fulfill, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Like, my text thread uh, with my family, uh, all a bunch of GT alums in there, like, on Saturdays, just the amount of Garen Stinkos and just the dad jokes <laughs> about it's it never stops. Like, he was always the problem. It's You cannot have an intellectual college football conversation 
with a Tennessee fan when Gar- Jared Garantano's name comes up because their brains just like implode. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work. They just <laughs> there is so much vitriol towards the Jared Garantano experience. It's unreal. Any other quarterback behind him is just ten times better, and it's all Jared Garantano. Everything that was troubling Tennessee over the last four years was a Jared Garantano issue. It's it's very strange that how much they latched onto this poor kid. But that's part of the reason I was like, oh, he went to the Northwest. He went as far away from knoxville is humanly possible i i'm happy for him and i hope he succeeds because seriously he by all accounts he's a really good kid he just man that guy gets in his head like he is Mm -hmm. it's more of a mental thing than it's a physical thing because like we know he has the physical abilities to be a really good college quarterback it just it never never played out like that but man yeah that doesn't surprise me but that's not great yeah but but back to football. So he played one snap in the spring game yeah. and uh, and hit his thumb on a offensive lineman's helmet through an interception. And then, uh, uh, you know, he he didn't play the rest. Uh, so I, I haven't like seen him personally that much. He hasn't necessarily separated himself. The other uh, guy was Cam and Cooper. You know, they both had they both were four star recruits at one time. They definitely had talent. Um, Cooper has never really progressed the way we would hope he would. So honestly, I my my guess would be, um, I mean, Jaden Delora didn't participate in spring ball because he had a DUI um, and he was you know kind of suspended. But I expect that he'll be back at some point, and I expect that he'll be back by fall camp. And I, given that Cooper or Garantano had didn't really seize the job in spring ball. Uh, my guess would be Jaden Delora is going to be the starting quarterback against Utah State. Oh, man. Okay. There you go. Uh, did not see that coming. Um, if you to articulate to someone who's not familiar with the recruiting chops at Washington State and what it takes to win, like Mike Leach won at uh, Washington State, what makes winning in Pullman so complicated? Yeah, um, obviously the you know the easy answer is WSU is the poorest uh, pack you know major conference school, but uh, but outside of that, um, yeah, you know historically WSU has not gotten high level recruits. You know, a Kate, you know, a few, maybe if we're lucky, a few four stars here and there, but but it's you know no five stars or anything like that. And you know, it's, it, we're always looking for just having a, a depth of quality of you know, high level three star recruits and things like that. Um, but he just, um, but, but, he, but here we just, uh, you don't have, you're not going to get a kid that wants a big city club life type thing. Um, you, you're going to, what, what coaches that do it well sell kind of, they, they either sell that you're going to, your, your talents are going to be amplified. So with Leach, it was, you know, especially with wide receivers and quarterbacks, like you're, you're going to be able to show what you can do because you're just going to get so many reps. Um, and, and then at the same on the defensive side, they were able to, uh, you know, like we're playing fast and we're, we're, we're going for turnovers. It's, they call it speed D, which is what Alex Grinch is, says still at Oklahoma. Um, but so it's, yeah. So, you, you kind of have to find a coach has to find that that niche that they can recruit to. Um, a lot of coaches go to the family aspect, and you're seeing Rolovich go to that. It's because Pullman is a tight, you know, it's like a tight knit community. It's a small town. People, you know, WSU alums love it. Like we 
we have fond memories of it. Um, we always want to go back and everything like that. Um, but it's hard to articulate that. Uh, and I think not being able to get players on campus has been rough for Rolovich's staff. Um, that's really kind of, you can sell players differently. And like, yeah, cause you hear if you grow up in LA or whatever, um, you might run across some, you know, UCLA or USC alums are like, oh yeah, Pullman is this crappy little town. We had, we had to fly into Spokane and we drove down, you know, 75 miles and then like, you know, there wasn't anything to do or whatever. Um, but when you're in Pullman, you can, you can see, uh, its charm and all that. And, 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 and it's, and it's positive aspects. And if you're like a, uh, a kid that loves those kind of that close knit and family and you value that type of stuff, you can get that feeling in Pullman. You see coaches, you see it, you know, the basketball staff right now is, is recruiting out of its mind and they're, they're, they're selling that really well. And, um, and, and again, so you just have to have like, you have to find a niche to recruit to. And I think you have to have a style that, you know, like you can recruit to. So like, you can't just be like, we're, we're, they're never going to be like recruiting, um, you know, a, 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 a style that's going to be running the ball and, 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 you know, stopping the run because you're just not going to recruit those big, huge athletes, uh, you know, in Pullman, but, but having a, a kind of a unique style and then you can recruit very specific athletes to those positions. Uh, that's, that's what Leach did really well. Um, and, and we're hoping that, that Rolovich, you know, because he's got a unique style can, can do the same. Yeah, and I think it, it makes sense, too, where, like, he seems like he's going to be there for a while, um, similar to Leach, and you got somebody, like, with smaller programs like that, like, I'm nervous for Oregon State in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I'm very nervous about what goes on there, because I think Jonathan Smith has just done a great job, and I don't think people realized how uh, <laughs> how bad that situation he walked into yeah. was, and it just, it, he's doing a really, really good job at Oregon State right now, and you, you guys got them on the calendar, I think it's October 9th at home. That'll be a big game for both you guys. But you kind of want – and then, I mean, Justin Wilcox, too, at Cal. Like, I think he is winning above his pay grade and uh, would make sense to replace Clay Helton at some point if that's the the way USC goes. But, like, I don't know. You want to you wanna keep these guys if it works, if they find a system that works. And it seems like Rolovich with uh, – he plays a type of style that if you can't get the five stars, this type of situation – works um it may not win a national title but you're not competing for national titles at washington state like that is something i also argue with my friends about where it's like the difference in college football is like it's about the apple cup it's about how you played against oregon if you're a washington state fan it's like it's not about oh how are we gonna factor into the playoff like that that's not a thing and you'll never find it enjoyment with your team for most schools like tennessee has not been in a national title since 98 I don't know if they'll ever go back in my lifetime. I just want competency. I want fun. I want to be in close games with my rivals. I want the bear. Like, I want that kind of stuff. I want the rivalries. I want that to be cool. That's, that's what I enjoy. I want a cool bowl game every now and then. Like, I don't, I don't care about the playoff all that much because I just don't think college football should be about national titles. I think it should just be about the rivalries and uh, memorable experiences. Is that, is that how you feel and most kook fans feel? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a there's an outsized emphasis on the Apple Cup for a lot of Kook fans, but sometimes to the point where they can't appreciate other success because mm-hmm. we don't win the Apple Cup. But uh, but yeah, but that was a big you know part. But the problem with like with Leach couldn't beat Washington, 
And that directly impacted WSU's ability to win the Pac-12 because there was three straight years where if WSU won the Apple Cup, they would go to the the Pac-12 championship game and three straight years they lost. And mm-hmm. so it's a uh, um, so it, it's yeah, like th- those like WSU fans want to, you know, be in regular bowl games and contend for a Pac-12 you know, title when that when that that roster is at its peak. You know, when right. they're because like that 2018 team with where like Minshew came in and there there was a very good you know roster. The defense had a lot of um, uh, you know juniors and seniors and and they had a that great receiving core. They had a good offensive line and, and Minshew just was came in was like the cherry on top um, to to capitalize on that. And so yeah, like that that was like that was our best season in a while since, you know, since 2002. And, and it was, it was a lot of fun. We of course didn't, but there's, there's still people that lament the fact they didn't beat Dove because they, that they, because uh, they, they just haven't beaten you Dove in so long and people are tired of losing you Dove. And, and one thing Rolovich did at least messaging wise good is like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to emphasize the apple cup and we want to win that game. And, um, uh, but yeah, so like, I don't give a shit if we're going one in eleven. We're beat that one win is against Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, and we're we're just yeah we're we're in the we're in the at the point where like for me I just I just write off the Apple Cup. I'm just like that's that's a loss. I, I'm not going to invest because it's so hard to invest so much of your emotional well being into that game because it's just been a boat race for like many years um so we obviously have hope because all the, the coaches are different on both sides and and maybe uh we can finally um at least you know keep the game close maybe win one once in a while um because it's been a while because uh, so i would love to see you talk about the rivalries being a big part i would love to see them become a big part again that part especially but we've been beating oregon and oregon state and stuff a lot yeah. so that's been i have pretty much every team stanford and um cal's you know can be give us trouble but uh uh, but yeah, it's just been you dub. I got to get back to you dub. All right. Well, let's run through the schedule real quick to get yeah. a taste of where we're at. If you're a Kook fan right now, what you can expect and what should be the realistic expectations. Are you ready for this? Yep. All right. Utah State at home. Uh, I gotta think that's a win. Okay. Portland State at home. Uh, I mean, I've seen us lose to Portland State <laughs> in the rain at home before, uh, but I think I think they'll win that one. Okay. USC at home. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I just don't. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. So it's two and one at Utah. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Two and two. two I don't know. Two. Who's gonna be under? Is it still the South Carolina kid under center for Utah? Is it still Bentley? I wonder if that is. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. They still have some questions there. Um, two and two, at Cal. Uh, Cal. Berkeley is a nightmare for WSU. I just I can never. That's it's almost like the Apple Cup where I'm just like, no, that's always a it's always a loss until proven otherwise. I also think Cal has a strong chance of winning the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people are ready for like the Garbers experiment and Cal to uh, run the table in the Pac-12. <laughs> but I that's where I, I just I think Cal is going to be the best team in the Pac-12 this year. Um, Oregon State, we're at two and four, two and three right now. Or no, two and four. Yeah. Let's make it eight in a row against Oregon State. So, yeah, get back. Get that one back. I don't think you're beating Oregon State. <laughs> On the road, mid-October, coming off the Cal game? Hey, we're at home. We're home against Oregon State. Oh, you are at home. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that puts you at three and three. Uh, uh, Stanford at home. 
Yeah, I think we'll get. I think we can get Stanford. BYU at home. You get them without Zach Wilson. Yeah, um, man, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say we'll lose that one. Interesting. Okay, four and four on the road at Arizona State. No. Man, this road schedule to wrap up your season is brutal. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's not good. At Oregon. No. Arizona. Um, I, I like that one. I like I like having the the warm weather team come up to play in cold weather in in, in November in Pullman. So go with that one. You know what this means for the Apple Cup? Yeah. It, you have to win to go bowling. And what I can guarantee you, based on just history, mm-hmm. is that they would they would not win that game in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I hate to say it, uh, like I told you, I write that one off until proven otherwise. Uh, so yeah, five well, and seven sounds like. I mean, that's not terrible for the first real full season of Rollage. Honestly, when 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 we went through it, I said five and seven. But if you would have just said, "Where do you think this team is?" I would have said like three and nine, four and eight would be had would be more of my feeling. So, so five and seven went- sounds better. Yeah, we just ended positively, and you didn't even know. That's that's why you play this out. That's why you think it through, Craig. That's, that's what we do this process. Because um, if you do Tennessee stuff, you're like, oh, this schedule is not bad at all. Like, I might fire Hypel myself if they don't go 6-6 six and six with this schedule. Like, this is crazy. Um, all right. Well, what can we check out from you this week at Kook Center? Yeah. Um, yeah, Kook Center, uh, we'll just uh, – I mean, we're – we're it's baseball season now, uh, but uh, oh, I know we'll, uh, top yeah, five program yeah, so. over here. We get Arkansas coming in full capacity this weekend for the SEC crown, essentially after Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah, be good. WSU is trying to finish strong, hopefully sneak into the uh, into the tournament. But uh, um, yeah, so we're covering that. We're um, we we you know signed one of the biggest basketball recruits in in history, so we're covering that. Uh, we'll we'll have a pod our pod is called podcast versus everyone we'll we'll cover that in depth um on there so um yeah and probably not a lot of football content this week as of yet but um sometimes you just get surprised by what happens week to week in, in, in covering college football well i can send you some garantano tape if you want to move the numbers to get some tennessee fans uh <laughs> on kookcenter.com i i got you yeah, it seems like seems like that's going to be our play in the summer. It's just nothing but Garantano content, and it's just going to be Tennessee fans just just in our comments, just tearing into him. But on the flip side, more engagement. Get those engagement exactly. numbers up. That's what you want. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Greg, this is great. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had fun. Thanks, Chase. Right. we are back on the chase thomas podcast i am still the aforementioned chase thomas and i am now joined by pd the pale dragon you know him from sb nation's columbus blue jackets blog pd how's it going i'm doing very well chase thanks for having me is there anything you want to talk about with the columbus blue jackets right now <laughs> is there anything on the on the docket that uh is happening with this club seems pretty pretty low-key right now right yeah, absolutely nothing whatsoever to talk about. Very, very boring team. Very boring season. <laughs> I mean, you had them finishing eighth in the Central before the season, right? 
Uh, no, I did not. No, I'm generally an optimist. And uh, yeah, I thought, oh yeah, this will definitely be a playoff team. I thought, you know, hey, they, they added Max Domi in the offseason. They would add some an extra scoring touch. Like, yeah, this this team can hang in the central for sure, you know. Um, and, and then that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Were they, like, how long have they been tanking down the stretch here? Um... Not that long. It really wasn't until about a week before the trade deadline that it became obvious that the season was was not going to be salvaged. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that they they traded Savard and Felino, that was the management basically flying the white flag, acknowledging that yeah, this is not happening. And they were kind of on the border of this last year, right? Like where the season was going last year and they they put all their chips in like columbus deserves credit for the kind of win now moves they've made in the last couple of years to really go for it and obviously it didn't result in a stanley cup or anything but do you think looking back after the moves that they've made over the last few years that it was all worth it uh absolutely now that's you know there's a lot of disagreement about that but um i respected the moves that yarmo made in 2019 i liked his philosophy that you know hey they had guys like Panarin and Bobrovsky and mm-hmm. you know those players don't come around that often so while you have them you might as well make the most of it so he added Matt Duchesne to the mix and you know the result was obviously that shocking upset of Tampa in the first round uh, it was the first playoff series win in franchise history and it was uh, an absolute thrill not just to beat Tampa but to sweep them to just completely dominate the president's trophy winner, like a record setting team that was a hundred percent worth. And even if I knew that those players were going to be gone after the season, uh, I still think that that was, that was well worth it. Yeah. And I just, I like when teams do that, they put all their chips in and they go for it, especially a market like Columbus. Like I, I I don't think (sighs) hindsight's always 2020 and there was always a chance that this would not go well, but like, that was kind of the sentiment at the time. Like it was a long time ago now, it feels like, but like they, at the time they were like, well, you know, we, we got to give them credit for cashing in some chips because we are now in an era across all major sports leagues where teams are so reluctant to cash in a lot of chips and take the kind of risk that Columbus took. So I think I'm always uh, partial to clubs like the Blue Jackets who, who do that. And I don't think it's fair and I don't like, people and i understand how, why fans would harp on them a little bit more because they wanted to win and they didn't know what's coming uh because it didn't work out but um i just think then these gms are gonna be way like they're gonna be more reluctant to do something like this again because they saw what happened in the backlash and things like that of like oh this is why you don't go all the way and this is why you pseudo contend this is why you try and make your window last way too long without really really going for a cup i don't yeah. know just, does that make sense yeah and yeah, and I think the, the NHL generally is a very conservative league, yes. and I feel like most GMs are very risk-averse. And, uh, you know, compared to, like, the NBA, where there's blockbuster trades all the time, and, you know, often things are pretty quiet in the NHL, even at trade deadline. But um, Jarmo Kekalainen has been a GM that he's not afraid to make really, really bold moves. And... Uh, it's as a fan, it's very entertaining. It kind of makes your head spin sometimes, but you know, I appreciate that 
he's not content to just go slowly along and he's not content to just be like, oh, hey, we're going to be a middle-of-the-road team. It's, hey, if I can make a big, splashy move to upgrade the team, I'm going to try it. Now, you know, it's not always... The moves don't always work out, um, but I respect him for at least trying. Absolutely. Well, you wrote a piece today. Uh, it was, I read it today. It was either today or yesterday on John Tortorella and his complicated legacy in Columbus. How would you frame, uh, for the listeners who have not checked out the piece, but they should go check it out if they have not already checked it, it's canon.com, um, the legacy, how would you describe it? And how did you describe it in the piece? Uh, yeah, it's. I feel like with John Tortorella, there's he's a very complex figure, and there's good parts to John Tortorella, and there are bad parts to John Tortorella, and I don't think it's fair to talk about him and his time here without talking about everything. Um, and so obviously his tenure here has ended on kind of a sour note just because it was such a disappointing season. Um, and even by his own admission, it was a season that was not up to his expectations. There were things that got out of hand and he didn't have the ability to fix it, wasn't able to fix it, you know. But I think overall, if you take the entire six seasons, um, I think they were generally successful. Um, this was a team that had not had very much success when he came on board. He um, he turned the team around very quickly when he, once he got here, established a new identity for them. Uh, and then they went on a run of success that the franchise hadn't seen yet. You know, four straight years with the playoff appearance, uh, you know, two postseason uh, series wins um, and, uh, you know, a lot of exciting games during that time, a lot of exciting win streaks in that time. Um, so I think he deserves praise for that, for the ch- positive changes he brought to the team. Um, but then, you know, I think he deserves a little bit of blame for, you know, this season falling apart the way it did um, for some of the, you know, media outbursts and the things like that, the way that he clashed with certain players you know, that was uh, definitely a negative part of his legacy. But I think looking back as time goes on, uh, I think people will still look at this as a successful tenure overall. Who's next in line to replace him, do you think? Whew, that is a great question. And there's uh, there's not a lot of rumblings that I'm seeing yet about who that's going to be. Um, I hope that they cast a wide net and interview a lot of people, uh, a lot of different kinds of candidates from diverse backgrounds, and try to find someone who is the best fit. Um, you know, I think at, at the end, John Tortorella, and, and there was comments that both he and Yarmulkekalein had made this week that seemed to suggest that they, they realized that it was not a fit anymore with the way the roster was changing and with his philosophy. So they need to bring in someone who fits with the kind of players that Yarmulkekalein has been bringing in. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know who it's going to be. There's been a lot of names thrown out there. Uh, I'm intrigued by perhaps hiring a European coach. Um, there's been talk about uh, Ricard Gronborg wants to coach in the NHL. He's currently coaching a team in Switzerland. He's coached the Swedish national team. He is Swedish, but he attended college in the U.S. And I think he's married to an American. Uh, so that would be interesting. There's also, uh, I'm going to butcher the guy's name, uh, uh, Yusa Yalinen, who's the Finnish national team coach. Um, you know, we've got the first European general manager, so why not the first European head coach? 
you know, I figure it's a team that has more and more young Europeans on it. So I feel like maybe a European coach could connect with those players better. Um, and, you know, just someone that would have some maybe new ideas and not just be part of the same old old boys club of NHL coaches that, let's be honest, all kind of approach things the same way. There's really not that much <laughs> difference in approach uh, of different NHL coaches. Uh, the big thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see some retread, some guy that's bounced around, been with a lot of teams, uh, someone who, like what Tortorella was when he came in. I, I'd like to see someone new get a chance. Can I interest you in a Dallas Eakins? Uh, you could. I don't. Is Anaheim looking apart from him? That's, I mean, uh... as a Ducks fan, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome to have him in Columbus. Well, well. Speaking of the Ducks organization, mm-hmm. one name that would be a retread but would interest me would be Kevin Deneen, mm. who's co- coaching the uh, San Diego Goals. He is a former Blue Jackets player himself. Um, he was head coach of the Florida Panthers at one point. He was an assistant for Joel Quenville in Chicago. Uh, coached the Canadian women's Olympic team one year. Um, so he's he's got a lot of uh, coaching experience. I think he's got a good resume on his own. The fact, though, that he played for the Jackets is just uh, a nice little extra extra thing there. But he's a name that I would certainly consider. Okay, okay. So we'll put a pin in Dallas Eakins. Um, <laughs> off-season storylines you're monitoring right now. Yeah, so I think the, the biggest one has to be um, what are they going to do? How are they going to start planning for the future? And a lot of that revolves around, you know, what the core of the team is going to be going forward. And the is Seth Jones. Uh, he is a free agent next summer. Um, but obviously this summer he'd be eligible to sign an extension. And the common wisdom seems to be that if he's not willing to sign an extension now, then now would be the time for the Blue Jackets to trade him and get something for him. Um, and I think that would be the sign then of, oh, hey, this needs to be a rebuild. And there would be other pieces that maybe that you'd look to trade as well uh, and get a lot of things in return, but you'd be looking at it maybe a longer rebuild. Uh, now, on the flip side, if you can convince him to sign an extension this year, then all of a sudden you have a new core that you can that you can build around, and he would be the centerpiece of that. Uh, I think if he does sign an extension, that he would be a natural fit as the next captain of the team, and maybe that can be somewhat of an enticement for him. Um, but that's something that people are going to be paying attention to after free agency starts is can they get an extension done with him? Because uh, a lot of things will fall into place after that. Interesting. Um your free agent plans. Like if you're in charge of how the blue jackets approach this off season, like, and you, specifically free agency, is there names that you're already pinpointing? Are there trades that you're pinpointing? What would you, what would you do? What would be your first couple orders of business? Yeah. Well, me personally, I'm not a huge fan of free agency because there are just so few elite players that actually reach free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like the trade market is more likely the path that the Jackets are going to follow to mm-hmm. acquire someone new to be able to get the kind of piece that they want. You know, the kind of players they're going to hit for agency are going to be in their 
their late 20s already, you're going to overpay them and maybe not get the kind of production you want. They're not necessarily be the game-changing type of players that you want. Um, a lot of the talk, obviously, is of the Jackets needing a number one center. And so, obviously, one name that comes up a lot now is Jack Eichel. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like he might be on the market. Now, I, I will say, though, I don't see it likely that he would come here because I don't know that the Jackets have a package that they can put together that would make it work for Buffalo. Um, I also just think things between him and Buffalo are pretty solid right now. Mm, I don't oh, know that this joke. I'm, I'm being oh. <laughs> sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that's going to be, you know, a huge storyline to follow just on a league wide basis to see where he goes. Cause that could be a pretty seismic change, you know, assuming he recovers from whatever surgery he's going to get. Um, but that could be a pretty seismic change if he ends up somewhere else. You know, if he goes to say the Boston the Rangers, you know, either of the teams, it would uh, you know boost them quite a bit. You know, well the Rangers are in good shape too. Things are going pretty pretty normal. In New, York. <laughs> New York teams, it's gone really well. I think by and large, outside of the Islanders, everybody's been having a normal last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Long-term rebuild, do you think that is what's in the cards? Or is there a way to pivot? Because you said like they could target a premier Eichel type and keep this thing going. Or do you think that this 8th in the central situation is probably the reality for Columbus for the foreseeable future and that they need to go through a, a painful retooling, rebuilding uh, effort? Yeah, I see, I don't... I don't think it needs to be a major rebuild because, you know, this is already a pretty young team. So when I hear about a rebuild, I feel like that require moving a lot of current players on the team. But that would mean moving players that are still in their prime and still would have a window of competing here. Um, I think the Blue Jackets finishing eighth in the division this year was a bit of a fluke. Um, I mean, they they certainly they earned their record with the way they played, but there were a lot of guys that were underperforming, uh, and there was a, a lot that just didn't click this year. And I think there are a lot of factors that go into that. The I think the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation kind of derailed things right from the beginning, and that sort of poisoned the locker room. Uh, I feel like not having the full Tortorella training camp hurt them, not having the practices between games hurt them, especially then trying to integrate Patrick Liney and Jack Rosovic into the lineup. It was just, there were a lot of rocky things there. So I think even if they changed nothing else, they would be in a better position next year just because it would be a you know regression to the mean. Um, but yeah, I think there are pieces here still to build around. Um, so Oliver Bjorkstrand is already locked in long-term. He signed his extension before the season started. You still have Cam Atkinson for about four more years. Uh, if you can get Seth Jones and Zach Lorenzi locked in, um, you know, I think that's a core that you can build around then. And there's some promising prospects that, uh, that are coming up or that have already been with the team or joining the team next year. So, I think this team can go back to at least being where they were in 2020 as a team battling for an Eastern Conference wild card. Um, but, you know, if they 
keep Patrick Laine around and he returns to form, you know, that would be a huge, huge boost. Um, you know, I think Max Domi, he started to pick things up towards the end of the season. So if he can play more at an average Max Domi level, that helps the team a lot. So, yeah, I don't think it takes too many pieces to get this team back to being at least competitive. Okay, okay. What uh, can we check out from you at jacketscanon.com this week? I know I mentioned uh, the piece on Tortorella's legacy, your off-season primer. Um, what else would you like to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, so check out jacketscanon.com. Right now we're going to be starting you know, look grading players, do player reviews for, for the next few weeks here. Then we'll get into draft previews, and obviously there will be a lot to talk about when free agency comes along and possible trade proposals. We'll be doing all that this offseason. Um, also check out, we have a podcast called The Canon Cast, so search for The Canon on your favorite podcast platform, and you can hear us talking about stuff. We had a great episode this week where we hashed over towards his legacy and talked about other coaches and talked about, uh, we also touched upon the Tom Wilson, New York Rangers situation and, and that whole fun disaster. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, great, great stuff all across the board. You know, Gary Bettman's just loving it. It's all great. It's all great. Um, all right. Well check all of that great stuff out and go check out jacketscanon.com If you're not already a very good Columbus blue jackets blog on SB nation, uh, keep up the great work, Pale Dragon. I uh, I love saying that out loud. It's a fun word to say out loud that I've never been able to say on this podcast. Or words, but, plural, rather. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. I like the idea of a pen name. Could never do it now. It's, it's long gone. But, uh, you know, I think you're playing your cards right here. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for, for reading the site. I really appreciate the uh, kind words about that. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.